whoever you are and however God worked in your life to bring you unto salvation, assurance is available. A joy-filled life is available. It is always the same path and it is the ordinary Christian life. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part two of Living the Assured Life from Pastor Paul Twiss. What evidence should we look for to have assurance of salvation? Should we self-examine ourselves to find evidence of the assured life? Today, Pastor Paul continues his message on living the assured life from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. He argues that we must primarily look outside ourselves to God and others to find assurance. He maintains that the evidence that you are a Christian is that you love God, love other Christians in your life, obey God's commandments, and think of others more than yourself. What is the significance of living such a life? Here's part two of Living the Assured Life. So we just walk through this twofold argument, the first half being one through Three, the first half of verse three, John says again, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Now, all John has done there is to synthesize, to summarize the first four chapters of the letter. He's just tied it all together very neatly in three short verses. He's told us yet again what it looks like to tread out a path of assurance. Notice, he says, first of all, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who is a Christian, the one who's been born of God, believes that Jesus is the Christ. That is the, the staple mark of the Christian life. And there is an emphasis in the way John phrases this on the, on the continuous nature of the belief. He's saying that the one who has truly been born of God, the evidence that they are truly born of God, is that they wake up on a Monday morning and they believe upon Christ. The evidence that you have been born of God is that on a Wednesday evening you set your affections towards Christ. The evidence that you're a Christian is that in the busyness of a Friday afternoon, you choose to believe upon the Savior. The inclination of your heart day in and day out, year after year after year, is to believe upon the Savior. And not simply in some kind of mental affirmation to the, to the doctrines of the Scripture, but belief in its fullest sense, belief in the, in the sense that Jesus prompts us in the gospel, that is to embrace him. To delight in Christ, the belief that John encourages us towards is always a belief where you delight in the Lord Jesus, where you find him to be truly above all other things. Over and over and over again, when that is the inclination of your heart, there is evidence there that you have been born of God. And that life is the assured, joy-filled life. 
He goes on to give us a second pillar, one that's been stated many times in the letter. He's just summarizing here. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So there again, we see the Christian. That is the one who has been born of the Father, the the Christian. What does he do? What is the evidence that he's been born of the Father? Well, he loves those who have been born of him. He loves the Christians around him. One of the major emphases of this letter is that Christians show love for other Christians. Again, in a, in a continuous and an ongoing way. The Christian gets up and he chooses to love the Christians that are in his life. He gets up and he chooses to love the Christians that are in his life. And, and there is no day off because the inclination of his heart is that he can't do otherwise. That's the spirit that's in him. God has given him a love for the other Christians in his life. And so we look around us and we see the Christians that are in our Bible study and the Christians that are in our fellowship group and we do nothing but love them. And we feel weary and tired, but we get up again and we love them. And there are days when we look around and we say, but they're just so weird. And you know what? So are you. And so we just get up and love them. That is the evidence that we're of God. We love one another. And then Job goes on in verse 2 to to continue summarizing his argument. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but it's really curious what John does here. It's the very first time in the letter that he does it. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God. So normally what John does is he states that relationship in the other direction. He says, normally, evidence that we love God is our love for Christians. Just then what he said is, evidence that we love Christians is our love for God. The relationship works in both directions. You are called to love God, there's the vertical axis, and to love your neighbor, there's the horizontal axis. And when you, when you get into the text of Deuteronomy, what you see is that the law shows that the two are inextricably linked. You cannot separate the two. You cannot demonstrate a love for God on a Sunday, show up and, and demonstrate your devotion to God, and during the week have no love for his children. And the opposite is also true. You cannot demonstrate love for God's children on a Thursday night at Bible study and not also show up on Sunday and demonstrate your love for God. You can't compartmentalize your Christian life. You can't pick and choose. You can't do one thing and not the other. It's a holistic love. And I do think the reason that John states it in this way at this point is to show us, to point us towards the holistic nature of the Christian life. If you're born again, then you are born again. If you are a Christian, you're a Christian. Day after day after day, morning, evening, and night. That's it. And you behave as such. And so you love Christians and you love God, and the two cannot be separated. And then he goes on to give a final pillar of assurance in this terse summary of the letter. When we love God and obey his commandments obedience to the commandments of God. One of the evidences that John has been showing us all the way through is not just a willingness to love, but a willingness to obey all of his commandments. 
And so in that sense, I'll often say that the Christian life is the life that is always changing. Because we trust the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your life whereby he is opening up your eyes to areas where you are not yet in conformity to the word of God. And then he prompts you unto repentance and to change your life. And the the Christian life is the one that is constantly trying to bend its will further and further under the word of God. Conformity to the word of God is evidence that you are a Christian. A willingness, an eagerness, a readiness to obey the commands of scripture. These are the pillars of the Christian life. I might add just one more by virtue of its omission, and that is that the assured and joy-filled life is the life that thinks very little of self. The assured and the joy-filled life is the life that thinks very little of self. You'll notice in this short summary that John gives at the beginning of chapter 5, and in fact all the way through the book, He discusses very little oneself, how you feel, whether you're in the mood for coming to church, whether you want to do this or that. He doesn't have much time for that discussion, and that's because that does not form one of the building blocks into the biblical picture for assurance. We must look primarily at Christ. We look to God and we look to others. It's when you look outside of yourself that you're now treading the path of assurance. And that's so counterintuitive because so often we address issues of assurance in the church by self-examination. John primarily wants you to lift up your eyes beyond yourself and to look outward, to look at God and to look at others. Concern yourself more with others and less with yourself. It's not that you despise yourself, it's just that you don't have much time to think of yourself. Because you're so much directed towards service towards others, love of other Christians, and a love for God. Now, all of that is summary. That's First John summarized. And what strikes me as I just meditate upon John's summary there is that all that he has described is the ordinary Christian life. He has given you the assured life. This is what it looks like to walk in a path of assurance and fullness of joy, to be certain of your salvation, of your abiding with Christ, and to delight in that reality. And yet at the same time, all he has described is the ordinary Christian life. If you were to survey the book of Acts, you would find Christians doing just this. As communities came together affirming the gospel, They're believing upon Christ. They're devoting themselves to God. They're loving one another. They're seeking to obey scripture. They're concerning themselves very little with themselves. It is the ordinary Christian life from the beginning of the church onwards. This is what Christians have been doing for thousands of years. There is nothing special about this. The path to assurance and fullness of joy is not a hidden path. There's nothing magical about it. John is not asking you to reinvent the wheel. And notice this, the path to assurance and fullness of joy, the ordinary Christian life, has nothing to do with your station in life. The bank manager can be just as assured and joy-filled as the pastor. 
The pastor can be just as assured and as joy-filled as the stay-at-home mother. The stay-at-home mum can be just as assured and as joy-filled as the police officer. It doesn't concern itself with the station in life, nor is it concerned with the manner in which you came to Christ. If you came to Christ at age four and embraced your understanding of the gospel at that stage, praise the Lord. And you have access to the same assurance that the person who came to Christ at age 40 does, with 39 years of rebellion behind them. And there's a, there's a clear transformation. And I want to stress that example because I find that so often assurance, issues with assurance come about when somebody hasn't had in their life what they perceive to be a very clear turning point. John is not concerned with that discussion because the root is always the same. Whoever you are and however God worked in your life to bring you unto salvation, assurance is available. A joy-filled life is available. It is always the same path and it is the ordinary Christian life. You devote yourself to God. You believe upon Christ. You love other Christians. You obey the word and you think very little of yourself. And John's readers needed to hear this. Because they had been sold a lie that said otherwise. False teachers, having gotten into the congregation, had told them it's not true. You need to do otherwise. You need to depart from this path of Christian orthodoxy. You need to affirm an extra truth. You need to believe upon a different Christ In fact, you need to come away with us and join this exclusive community. And then, and only then, will you know fullness of joy. Then and only then will you know peace. We have a special knowledge. Come with us, is the lie that they had been sold. And John redresses this and says, don't listen to them. Look at the testimony of the church. The ordinary Christian life is the assured, joy-filled life. And we need to hear the same message today, not because we have someone in our ear telling us to depart from the path of orthodoxy, but actually because we live in a restless time, a restless age that would encourage us to look for something new. The French politician de Tocqueville was the first to draw attention to this when he came over to America to look at democratic structures in this country and he wrote a report for his own government upon return and he said it strikes me that the american people are preoccupied with a desire to break free from established norms many hundreds of years ago he was writing if that was true then even more so now We live in a restless age where we are always encouraged to go bigger to go better to go faster to have more If there is an established norm, the gut reaction of society is to break it, to to go beyond. And as soon as a new norm is established, then let's just go further. And it creates a restlessness, both in the individual and within the society. And we see this played out over and over again. People typically don't keep a job for very long these days. Because there is a fear that we're missing out, that there there could be something better out there. We surf channels over and over again. Why? Because there might just be something more 
better that I haven't yet seen. We don't stick with one particular thought and pursue it and meditate it for any length of time because there's always something else that we can consume to have, to experience, to enjoy. So we'll just move on. And the danger is that as it relates to the ordinary Christian life, we start to believe that ordinary is in some way substandard. We start to buy into the lie that ordinary is in some way subpar. This can't be a meaningful life. All you're calling me to do is love God and love Christians, submit to the word, that's it. There can't be substance and meaning in that. No, no, no. I need to go beyond and go further in order to have a meaningful Christian life. Michael Horton, a Christian author, wrote a book in 2014 entitled Ordinary. Immediately when it came out, I just loved the title. Ordinary and the subtitle, Sustainable Faith in a Restless World. And he makes the point, rightly so, in that book, that we have to come to terms with the fact that we have all of us been called to live ordinary Christian lives. And in fact, the theological reality is that when you pursue the ordinary Christian life, as John has given it to us here, you're actually pursuing the infinitely significant life. The truth is that when the stay-at-home mom is content to get up, to read the Bible, to delight in Christ, to take in her Savior again, to conform her life to the, the commands of Scripture, to do her best to love the Christians that God has put her in society with, she is living an infinitely significant life, regardless of what the world says. The truth is, when the bank manager goes to work yet again, same old, same old, when he clocks in and clocks out, but he's doing it, when he's being diligent to conform his life to look like what the scriptures say it should look like, when he's busting a gut to love the Christians that God has placed into his life, doesn't matter what the world says, he is living an infinitely significant life. And one day, heaven will testify to that. I'm reminded of the ministry of William Hamilton Burns. You've probably never heard of William Hamilton Burns. And that's exactly my point. He was a pastor in Kilsyth in Scotland in the 1800s. He was described by his son, who went on to write his father's biography, as humble, unobtrusive, loving, and a quiet, conscientious country clergyman. He ministered in relative obscurity, but he did so faithfully and with the utmost perseverance. He experienced great spiritual discouragement in his ministry. He faced personal hardship, and for many years he saw no visible fruit. And yet his ministry has rightly been described as one of beauty, of dignity, of humble Christian service. The assured life is the ordinary Christian life. You are not called to do anything more than to believe, to believe in Christ, to love God, to love his people, and to obey the scriptures. Believe, 
love, obey, repeat. Believe, love, obey, repeat. And I would say that if you are here struggling with the question of assurance, the certainty of your salvation, it may be because you are not living the ordinary Christian life. It might be that you are not living the life that John has here described. A life of continual belief upon Christ, of refreshing your heart to the truth of Jesus. A life of devotion and love to God. A life of unending love for the Christians around you. And a life of obedience to the scriptures. That might be the root of the issues concerning assurance. Now, at this point, you might contest and say, I've got an issue with that. And John knows you do. John understands that there's an objection. He confronts it head on. He moves to the second part of his argument. And in a very provocative way, he says, by the way, his commandments are not burdensome. Your issue might be, well, it's very well to describe the ordinary Christian life, but it's incredibly hard to live. It's incredibly hard to live out that ordinary Christian life day after day after day with a consistency, a steadfastness that leads me in the path of assurance and fullness of joy. And John knows that that objection is there. And he confronts it head on in a very provocative manner when he says, by the way, his commandments are not burdensome. If you hadn't been thinking of the question by this stage, then you are certainly now. When John comes out with this outrageous statement, his commandments aren't burdensome. Think about what John is saying. Ours is a religion that says, pray for your enemies. And John says, easy. Ours is a religion that says, turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate. In fact, quite the opposite. Give your enemy the other cheek that they might strike you a second time. John says, walk in the park. Ours is a religion that says every day you take up your cross, an instrument of death, follow after Jesus in a humble, ignoble way, and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And John says, light. No problem. So it really is quite an outrageous statement. And we're forced to ask the question, how may I find the commandments of Scripture to be light? You are listening to Timeless Truth Today. How do we live an infinitely significant life? Pastor Paul says that we live such a life when we believe in Christ, love God, love his people, and obey the scriptures, and then repeat. It is that simple. If you're struggling with the assurance of your salvation, could it be that you're not living the ordinary Christian life? Is the inclination of your heart to love God and serve others? Or are you primarily concerned with yourself and pursuing, quote, extraordinary things. May we be content to pursue and live the ordinary Christian life. If you'd like to know more about Jesus and why the ordinary Christian life is where we find life to the full, 
visit our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. Press broadcasts on the homepage for an archive of gospel teaching and much more. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss and a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If this program has a positive impact on your relationship with Jesus, will you make a financial gift? You'll be part of what God is doing through this outreach ministry to reach thousands of souls with the good news of Jesus. On the homepage of TimelessTruthToday.org, select Donate to make your gift of any size. Join us tomorrow as we continue in our series, Living the Assured Life, with Part 3. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.